0: Welcome guys to Arbitrary Insights on Books. Book podcast for today is the Science of Yoga by Anne Swanson. It is Understanding the Anatomy and Physiology to Perfect Your Yoga Practice. Okay, so the book is published by Penguin Random House. The contents would include Human Anatomy, the Asanas, we're going to discuss everything about that, and Q&A's. Okay, so the intention of this book, according to the author, is for the material to spark more curiosity and discussion about the science of yoga. So we all know that yoga is an ancient practice, but there is a science behind it. And this is the core concept of this book. That there is a scientific behind yoga practices. So for the first part, it's the discussion on human anatomy. If you are familiar, anatomy is the study of the structure of the body. We have a study from the cell to our muscles, organs, and of course, it includes the skeletal system because yoga deals with that a lot okay so it's really important that before you start yoga you have to know your anatomy and physiology there is an enormous pages that includes that in this book and there's also explanation on the neural pathways and different system actually But for those who are already medically inclined, like me, I did not spend a lot of time reading this system overview as I have taken an anatomy and physiology course or subject when I was in college. And of course, I was also familiar with this ever since I was a kid when I was rummaging through different encyclopedias. Now we move on to the Posture, the asanas, the poses. The book has a guide to different poses. We have from the set of asanas. There's actually a picture of that wherein you can see that there are keys. In the keys, you will know what muscles are engaging what muscles are engaging while stretching, and what muscles are stretching. Another, uh, after that picture, there are also a skeletal figure on the same portion of the book. So basically, the book is full of illustrations and colors because it's there is a different color for the muscles that are engaging and engaging while stretching and muscles that are actually just stretching so you can identify which muscle are you going to work out Do you want to work out your hamstrings do you want to work out your abdominal muscles because you can see in this book what muscles would be exercised or would be physically manipulated okay so the first position that was discussed or is discussed in the book is the asanas the seated asanas for the seated asanas we have variations for that if you're not able to perform the seated position there are variations and some of the variations would require you to have props The book is detailed because you can have the posterior view, the anterior view, and sometimes the side view even, the skeletal view. So it's very good if you are just starting yoga actually. There are also a closer look for every pose. And there's an explanation, a detailed explanation on a particular muscle or a particular bone that you're trying to Workout. Like for example, um, for the pelvis difference and the pelvis softening, there is a detailed explanation on that. So after the sitting asanas, we move on to the standing asanas. Standing asanas are basically used to improve posture and balance. The examples of our standing asanas are the mountain, which is basically the standing pose. And we also have poses like the forward fold that you can, very common in yoga practices in YouTube. The most difficult for me as in a standing pose is the chair because it's like a punishment to your hamstrings and to your legs. But we also have here... Crescent Lunge, our favorite pose in our YouTube classes is the tree. It's as if that we're actually certified yogis if we perform the tree. Following the standing poses are the Inversion Asanas. The Inversion Asanas basically would just mean that your head is now below your heart. One who practices yoga needs to be careful in performing inversion asanas because there are restrictions to this and i will discuss that later examples of inversion asanas would be the downward facing dog which is very popular i remember the downward facing dog was done by genie on the movie aladdin when he was finally out of that lamp another Perfect inversion position is the headstand that I am still not able to perform. But of course, there are variations. If there are positions or poses that you cannot perform, there are variations for that. That was emphasized also in the book. Another position that you can assume for the inverted asanas is the half shoulder stand it's also difficult actually but the easier pose on this inversion poses are the bridge stand which basically works out your hips a full back bend your hands should be slightly wider than your shoulder distance apart you have to relax your head keep your feet approximately hip distance apart while squeezing your thighs in toward parallel this is difficult the wheel puts your shoulder joints and spine in a unique position it can be very challenging i don't know if it's actually challenging for you i i have friends who can do the wheel or can perform the back bend and i really am in this at first but now i get over it it's not for me I don't have that kind of spine flexibility and that should be your mindset as well. If you're doing yoga, do not be envious because other people can do it and you can, but you have to love what you're doing. Now we move on to more difficult poses, the floor asanas. One of the floor asanas is grow. It's a wrist strengthening pose. For us people who have been doing lots of typing, texting, and grasping things, we need to strengthen our wrist and prevent carpal tunnel syndrome. And then we also have the plank poses, which includes the plank and the side plank. The side plank is much more difficult for me it's very challenging arm balance it keeps your heart pounding it strengthens your core and builds up also your muscle another uh, floor asanas is the cobra the cobra pose is a very traditional yoga pose it is aimed to increase your upper back strength in the cobra pose it is usually a traditional yoga pose it can be refined with activation of your neck muscles and another pose in the floor asanas is the low cost low cost is also known as a belly down boat pose another is the supine leg stretch. In supine leg stretch you need to stretch your thighs but you have to make sure that your lower back is safe. A variation of this pose is that if you cannot reach your feet or your toes then you have to have a strap around the sole of your foot to make sure that you're not over Next is the relaxing supine twist. It is a spinal twist. Usually, this is performed at the end of the yoga. After the illustration of the poses, we now move on to the questions that are commonly asked by students in yoga. So there is a question here that says, can someone do yoga if he or she is not flexible. So can I do yoga if I'm not flexible? Personally, I am not a flexible person. I cannot even reach my foot or my toes in while well, I'm sitting. But I think that yoga had increased my flexibility. I've been practicing yoga for about six months now and it had done me quite good and my flexibility there are also questions posted in here that um what about children is it possible that they could do yoga i think it is good that children as early as the age of six or 12 could practice yoga according to um some experts or research it suggests that yoga could improve core symptoms of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder okay so another is that is if it's safe during pregnancy of course we have prenatal yoga classes but you have to check with your obstetrician before you perform yoga exercises during pregnancy it might be contraindicated Okay, another question is how would it affect as we age? Well, according to expert, the more that you practice yoga, the more muscle you are building up to strengthen or counteract your natural skeletal atrophy or bone degeneration. Okay, so there is no such thing as you are too old to practice yoga i have seen in youtube in india they have old people who are actually still very flexible in yoga we're familiar with meditation so yeah, they're usually come hand in hand the two terms So some people it might actually be helpful to do meditation only and not do yoga so why do we chant om in yoga, according to some experts, that one small study found that chanting Om deactivate parts of the emotional brain related to fear compared to chanting um, chanting other terms as seen in fMRI scanning. Then we have savasana. This is known as the core. Corpus or a dead pose. The sabhasana is very beneficial because lying on your back with your legs and arms relax symmetrically activates your parasympathetic nervous system. It also teaches your muscles to relax effectively, and apart from that, this is really a profound relaxation. And there are also myths about yoga. There is a misconception that yoga should make per, make a person perfectly calm all the time, and that if it doesn't happen, you're doing bad at yoga. I don't think that being perfectly calm all the time is actually good. We need to also activate our fear because our fear response actually saves us from dangers in our day-to-day activities. So yoga is also helpful for our mental well-being. For those people who are stuck, feeling depressed, you need to do, according to a new research, you need to do an eight weeks of mindfulness meditation to help reduce your fear-related activity in the brain. So right now we have FMRI studies. These are brain imaging studies that proves that in uh, performing yoga asanas and meditation it reduces the amygdala volume on the right hand side of the brain. Amygdala is a part of the brain. There are also studies that suggest that yoga is beneficial for those who are experiencing chronic pain and acute pain. So we have acute pain that is pain that lasts for about less than six months or just a small period of time. And chronic pain are pain that lasts for long. An example of an acute pain could be a toothache or an ankle sprain. Chronic pain are more like lower back pain like those pains that did not go away and usually need to have medication. Then we have yoga therapy. Yoga therapy is a growing field. It empowers individuals toward well being. So the yoga therapists we have in our community are very rare. They create a personalized plan of care for each. Client. For every client, we have a different lifestyle suggestion. And in yoga therapy, the aim is mainly most on asymptomatic. The yoga, therefore, can help people move beyond a disease to focus to cultivate human flourishing. So we also have questions about transformation. The question is, what are the spiritual states that ancient yogis spoke of? So, in ancient yoga, we have eight limbs. The first is your self-control. The second is self-regulation. Third is poses as exercise or asanas. So then we have breath work, controlled senses, concentration, meditation, and enlightenment. Okay, so how do we know that yoga is actually effective when it comes to our spirituality or being mindfulness? Currently, this study is in yoga is very long because only in the recent decade that the imaging studies have appeared or were become more clear, such as the fMRI. And now it's only, as of today, our... Neuroscientists have emerged. So the neuroscientists are currently studying brain spiritual states. Of course, before, neuroscientists were focused on more important um, things such as disease states or brain tumors. So very few, according to the book, are studying this type of um, field, Since the science of yoga is in its infancy, we have to be very critical on the different studies that are conducted. I suggest that if you are actually studying yoga, you base your yoga practices on books. You have to be very critical when it comes to the different studies and make sure that you bear in mind that extraordinary claims require... Extraordinary evidence that's according to the book. So there are question on is there scientific evidence to support the yogic concept such as Prana and the chakras? Okay, in the book it was not discussed because there is no enough scientific evidence to support this. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven chakras. And that is based on the ancient yoga. So for example, we have the Ajna Chakra, which is our third eye or our intuitive center. Of course, scientific evidence or there is no scientific evidence to support that. So let's just hope that someday more scientists or more doctors would actually study the science of yoga because right now I know it's difficult to have doctors be interested with yoga. I have seen doctors who studied yoga, but they are trying to connect it specifically to their field of um, medicine. For example, psychiatrists are studying yoga in response to, or studying uh, mental health disorders in response to yoga. Some cardiovascular doctors are also studying the effects of yoga into our cardiovascular system and how it would help or alleviate the Cardiovascular diseases. So let's hope that in years to come there will be more and in-depth study of yoga. But there are over 225 publications in 2009 to 2013 correlating with the rise of the popularity. Of yoga, now we move on to the cautions in performing yoga because the first principle in the yoga practice is to do no harm, so you need to avoid harm as much as possible. So, there are certain conditions that are written in this book wherein uh, telling you what particular yoga asana or asanas is you're not allowed to perform. Like, for example, if you are having a migraine, you have to be very careful in performing the inversions because it might increase your intracranial pressure. And in migraine, there are some migraines that we are not aware of what are the underlying conditions of that mar- migraine. Another is, for example, if you have, God forbid, um, spinal stenosis. So if you have a spinal stenosis, you have to be careful. With your spinal extension practices. So the most important thing or message of this book or in any yoga practice is that when you are doing or performing yoga practices, you have to make sure that you consult it with your doctor. Because if you do not consult it with your doctor, you might be compromising your health. You also have to know what is your pain threshold and your pain tolerance. So the pain threshold is the beginning to which you feel the pain and your pain tolerance is the level of pain that you can tolerate from the term in itself. So if you are trying to perform some yoga practices, you have to make sure that you know what is your pain threshold. Usually in my practice, if I already feel a sharp shooting uh, pain or if I am uncomfortable, I have to stop doing the position. Maybe it's not just yet the time for me to perform it. And and I advise that you also do the same. If you're uncomfortable in doing it, it's not that you cannot do it. It's just that your body does not allow you to do it. And we have unique bodies. We have different levels of flexibility and you don't have to be envy with your classmate because she can do the split or the back bend. Maybe she's a gymnast and not everyone can be gymnasts. Some have to be viewers on the gymnastic position. Okay. So for everyone who's starting their yoga journey, it's important that you have a scientific basis or a scientific knowledge on how it is done. It is for your safety and also for your progress. The author of this book is a yoga teacher. She is a mind and body science educator and holds a master's of science in yoga Therapy. so if that would not encourage you to get one then i don't know what will so for those who are uh, interested again in the science of yoga book it is available in major bookstores i am hoping to see you again on the next episode of arbitrary insights on books thank you